I'm Andrew Schwartz, and you're listening to The Truth of the Matter, a podcast by CSIS where we break down the top policy issues of the day and talk with the people that can help us best understand what's really going on. To get to the truth of the matter about Kim Jong-un's visit to Russia to see Vladimir Putin, we have with us Dr. Victor Cha, who's the head of all of our Asia programs and our Korea chair. Victor, great to have you here to talk about this visit. I want to ask you, what is Putin's relationship with Kim Jong-un and what has his relationship been with past leaders of Korea? Andrew, thanks for having me on. So this meeting that took place was their second meeting. They met once about three years ago in 2019. Kim has gone out of his way. The North Korean leader has gone out of his way to show support for Putin over the past year. And even when they met at the space station, Kim said he has unconditional support for Russia and for Putin. So he's tried really hard to sidle up to Putin as much as he can. In the past, Putin has had a relationship as leader of Russia with Kim Jong-un's father. In fact, he was the only leader in the world that actually tried to engage with Kim Jong-il, including the Chinese. They had a couple of summits, and Putin invited Kim Jong-il in an impromptu thing during one of the summits. He said, let's skip the banquet, and why don't you come to my flat in Moscow? And so Kim Jong-il was very taken by that. So Putin was the only one who tried hard to engage with Kim Jong-il, the current leader's father. Of course, the grandfather, Kim Il-sung, the first leader of North Korea, had very good relations with the Chinese and with the Soviets at the time. But the father was quite reclusive, and so Putin was the only one who tried. And now, very clearly, Putin needs Kim, and that's why we have this renewed relationship now emerging between the two. And Putin doesn't have a lot of friends in the world. No, not, neither does Kim. <laughs> right, so they're kind of made for each other. It's a, certainly a marriage of convenience. You know, it's very transactional because, you know, Putin needs munitions and artillery and Kim's got that. And Kim needs food and fuel and a lot of stuff because they've been in a COVID lockdown for three years. They just are starting to come out of their COVID lockdown. But the lockdown was real. I mean, they were not trading with China. They were not trading with Russia. There was not even smuggling taking place from China to North Korea as it normally does. And so they're completely stocked out on everything. So they really do need Russian help. So they were choked off. And that really goes to the question of why now? Why is this, you know, friendship surfacing now? And tell me about what they have that Russia needs. And then let's get into a little bit more about what North Korea really needs. Yeah. So, I mean, again, the Russians need munitions, right? We've seen that in this war, they are blowing through ammunition like nothing. And they're running out like the world is running out of munitions. And the one place in the world where there is a huge stockpile of munitions is on the Korean Peninsula. North Korea and South Korea, huge stockpile of munitions because they've you know been prepared for war for 70 years. So And haven't actually had one. Haven't had one, but they've been prepared for it. And so I imagine North Korea has a lot of this stuff stocked away in warehouses, and they probably got new stuff, and they have old stuff, and they're probably selling the old stuff to Putin, right, because he needs it. And so what coming out of lockdown, North Korea must need absolutely everything. So what can Putin really help them with? Obviously, there's grain, but is it also fuel? Is it what? What is it? Yeah, so definitely at the top of the list is fuel, petroleum, iron ore, and food. As you know, when the White House released declassified satellite imagery at the end of last year of the first arms transfer they believe went from North Korea to the Wagner Group, you know, we at CSIS Beyond Parallel, we started taking satellite imagery of the Tumangang Kasan railroad crossing between North Korea and Russia around the date of that Wagner shipment. And what we found is 
a significant increase in the number of rail cars that were moving along that border. And you can tell by the shape of the rail cars what they carry. And so we saw that to be food, iron ore, and petroleum. So very clearly, there's an arms for food and fuel deal. But I think the thing that is also worrying is whether Kim is asking for and the Russians are willing to provide even more stuff than just food and fuel. So like what stuff? You're talking about like nuclear stuff. Yeah. So I think the worry is that Kim Jong-un would not travel by train for whatever number of hours because he doesn't fly, right? So he wouldn't travel by train. And let's face it, that train's moving pretty slow. That's moving pretty slow. And they have to change at the Russia-North Korea crossing. The tracks are different gauge. So they have to like do a switch there. Anyway, he would not be traveling all that way just for food and fuel. Interesting. So that brings me to what does this mean for the United States and what does it mean for the security dynamic on the Korean peninsula? So the thing that worries me the most is that this meeting took place at this space station. And so, you know, nothing happens for no reason, right? If these leaders are meeting, they don't just decide, oh, let's just meet here, right? There's a reason. And clearly, I think what worries me is that they're signaling, and substantively, I imagine it's true, that North Korea does need help with its military satellite program, and they do need help with their ICBM program. In the past month or so, they have failed twice in launching a military satellite. And they're basically meeting at the Russian space station. And Putin even said, like, when asked the question, are you helping them with satellites? And he goes, well, we wouldn't be meeting here. Like, why are we meeting here? So I think one thing for sure is that North Koreans need help with launching military satellites, and it looks like Russia's going to help them. The other is, of course, the space launch vehicle, the rocket that you use to put a satellite into orbit. That is also something that, at least from a North Korean perspective, there is no such thing as a civilian space launch vehicle, right? Their civilian space launch vehicle is a three-stage intercontinental ballistic missile. And there, again, I think Kim is going to ask the Russians for help on that because North Korea does have an ICBM capability, but they need to make improvements in terms of fuel, solid propellant, countermeasures to defeat U.S. missile defense systems. So this is why this is concerning to the United States. In addition to that, there's concern that Russia might provide nuclear-powered submarine technology to North Korea. North Korea this month launched a diesel-powered submarine that can carry up to 10 sea-launched ballistic missiles. But diesel-powered submarines are noisy, right? Nuclear-powered submarines would be a stealth and much more concerning. And I did notice that after this meeting uh, at this space station, apparently one of the things that Kim is supposed to do is he's supposed to observe the Pacific Fleet, the Russian Pacific Fleet. So again, nothing happens for no reason. I mean, that is another signal that maybe the Russians are going to help them with submarine technology as well. So for the United States, these things are all concerning because it is showing that what we're doing in Ukraine to support the Ukrainians against the Russians, Putin is countering that by saying, well, I can not only make your life difficult in Europe, I can make your life difficult in Asia also. So this is really the heart of the matter. Yeah, it, truth of the matter. Yeah, yeah it's the truth <laughs> yeah, of the matter. Yeah, it's the truth of the matter. I think that, you know, you have these two leaders in an unholy alliance where they see an opportunity to cause trouble for the adversary, that being the United States, in a theater outside the theater in which they're engaged with the United States. So for Putin, it's like, I can cause trouble for you in Asia. And for Kim, it's like, I can cause trouble for you in Europe. And so what does the United States do or what are the United States options here, given what we're seeing? 
So if I were still in government, the standard playbook is what these two are doing is a violation of UN Security Council resolutions, resolutions that Russia had signed on to. When the defense minister of Russia went to North Korea in July and observed a military parade, he was observing the rolling out of missiles and all sorts of weaponry that are explicitly in violation of UN Security Council resolutions that Russia signed on to. So the first thing to do would be to go back to the UN right, and to sanction both the Russians and the North Koreans for violating these resolutions and possibly coming up with more resolutions. The problem, of course, is that because of Russian and Chinese opposition to anything in the UN Security Council, we can't go down that route anymore. So I think what it means is continuing to build up the alliance relationships with Korea and Japan. So out of the Camp David summit last month, they talked about new exercising, missile defense tracking, intelligence sharing. So I would just like juice that up as much as I could. And then also, I think, looking to other like-minded groupings outside of the UN Security Council. So things like the NATO Leaders Summit now has an Asia component to it, right? right. The NATO Leaders Summit has now had the Koreans, the Japanese, the Kiwis, and the Australians participating the so-called Asia-Pacific Four, part of NATO. And then the G7 was hosted by the Japanese, and they also had the Koreans, the Australians, and others, Indonesians, and others there. So I think it doesn't carry the force of a UN Security Council resolution, but states in these groupings can coordinate policies to sanction, to list Russian companies, Russian individuals, Korean companies, Korean individuals, and coordinate sanctions packages there. I mean, I think that's the main things that we can do in lieu of being able to go back to the UN Security Council. So this is really where the US allies and let's face it, we have great friends in the world matter because it's not just Japan and Korea, as you mentioned, it's NATO, it's Australia, it's all of the nations that we are really aligned with. And that's a show of force in and of itself, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. It's a very important show of force because what the Russians, if they do provide all this technology to North Korea, you know, they're basically violating a norm among nuclear weapon states that you don't share this technology with other countries, right? And Russia seems to be willing to do it for munitions to fight the war in Ukraine and also to sort of stick it in the eye of Biden, I think. So I think there'll be, I can't imagine there wouldn't be an empathetic audience around the world to wanting to try to sanction and to condemn this behavior. It does show a serious measure of desperation on the part of Putin, doesn't it? Yeah. When you have to go to North Korea for help, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> you're in trouble. All right. Well, Victor, finally, I want to ask you, what does this actually mean for China? Yeah, so this is a really good question, and I think it's a dilemma for China. Like, the Chinese haven't come out yet and said, yeah, we support this 100%. They haven't said that. Because, of course, you know, they have been quite ambivalent about the war in Ukraine. They haven't shown all their cards, but they clearly haven't thrown all their eggs into the Russian basket on this. At the same time, though, they don't like it when North Korea gets too close to Russia, and they always feel like they need to counter that. So there's something to be said also for them not alienating themselves from the North Koreans and the Russians. So they have these forces pulling at them at both ends. I mean, I think personally, I think it's entirely in Chinese interest to condemn this. It prolongs the war in Europe, and then it also makes the situation on the Korean Peninsula in China's backyard even more volatile than it is. 
So, I mean, I think it's entirely in their interest not to support this. But, you know, the big question is whether China can get out of its own way and do something that's in its national interest rather than just allowing themselves to continue to be uncooperative because they're not happy with what we're doing on Taiwan or what we're doing with our allies. Victor, thank you very much. Really important insights here and a lot to think about. Thanks so much. Thanks, Andrew. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 